Greetings and salutations, everyone. Nkwan Adarasachu, thank God for permitting us to celebrate again this first weekend after Pascha or Fasika or the resurrection. In the Ge'ezrite tradition, we refer to this Sunday as Dagamai Tensai, Dagam Tensai, or Dagami Tensai, which is the resurrection again, or the second resurrection in other Orthodox churches. I've heard it referred to as St. Thomas's Sunday or Holy Thomas's Sunday, and it's the same person being honored. We're honoring the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the apostle who is often called in American culture, Doubting Thomas. And we're told not to be Doubting Thomases, but in the end, the confession of Thomas was, My Lord, my God. It is my hope that as we read through the scroll of Jacob or the book of James, that we too are able to say, My Lord, my God, in thought, in word, and in deed. Today, I am looking at the scroll of Jacob, chapter 3, through the lens of the New King James Version and the Greek Orthodox Bible or the Greek Orthodox New Testament. If you are a fan of this ministry, if you support this ministry, please go to patreon.com slash tawahado. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot c-o-m slash t-e-w-a-h-i-d-o, patreon.com slash tawahado. Let's get into it. First verses one to three. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. So it's it's interesting here because at different points in the writings of the apostles, we get encouragements for people to become teachers and also discouragement for them to be all teachers. So the discouragement here are for those who rush to be teachers. As is common in the archetypes of literature, we want the reluctant king. The reluctant king is Aragorn from Lord of the Rings. We want the reluctant king or the reluctant leader or the reluctant educator, the reluctant teacher. In my own personal life, I've struggled with this. In my heart of hearts, I would rather just be a student. And yet when I look around, I see that the baton is laying on the floor and nobody is quite carrying it in the manner that I wish it was being carried. And so in my own personal bubbles in the diocese of Southern California for the Ethiopian Orthodox Tawahado Church, and particularly at my church at the Virgin Mary's Ethiopian Orthodox Tawahado Church in South Central, I think that I had to take the onus upon myself. And now there are others doing this this labor as well. So I glorify God for that. But it's always in the back of my mind, this word of, of the apostle Jacob, that not many of us should become teachers. And yet at the same time, in a journal a couple years ago, I remember writing that part of this issue or part of understanding the command from the apostle Jacob here is that we could understand the domain of teaching. 
So maybe all of us are not meant to be on the pulpit and preach before the congregation, but maybe we have other places. Some of us are called to use video. Some of us are called to use audio. Some of us are called to write, to use text, to text one another, to have a blog. Some of us are called to share our blogs or our poetry, and some of us just consume it for ourselves and share bits and pieces or gurshas with people that we see and, and that we come across. So we have to just find what domain or what scope or what scale would be appropriate for us. If we are a grandma, how do we act like Lois and Eunice, right? The mother and grandmother who taught St. Timothy or Holy Timothy, who eventually becomes one of the first bishops placed in Asia Minor by the Apostle Paul. So how do we become like them and realize our domain? Lois and Eunice were not some great pulpit preachers like John Chrysostom, who are known throughout the ages, and yet their names are read wherever the scroll of Timothy is read, because they are the ones who even the Apostle Paul identified as distilling the spirit of the Older Testament in Timothy. If nothing else, we have the ability to recite or to read aloud, as it says in Psalm 1, to meditate or recite or read aloud the Word of God. So just think about your domain, think about your scale, think about your scope, and be hesitant, because here we are warned that many of us should not become teachers. But Maybe it's just figuring out the right level. Also, in these verses from 1 to 3, we find out that, or at least we begin to find out, that there's an illustration that the mouth can control the whole body. In fact, always in the closing prayers of the Good is Right, we say, May God release us from the sins that we do, both wittingly and unwittingly, the sins that we do that are known to us and those that are unbeknownst to us, those that we do in thought and in word and in deed. And I mention this frequently because we see this all over the scriptures, but to me the most jarring and obvious place where we see this is in Acts 6 and 7 in the martyrdom of the proto-deacon and the proto-martyr Stephen. Stephen, we see from his words, from his preaching and teaching, which is a function that he was not originally assigned to do. He was originally assigned by the apostles to take care of food, and yet the food that he focused on was the spiritual food rather than the physical food, or the food according to the spirit rather than the food according to the flesh, which is the word of God which he preached fervently from the Older Testament. And when he preached Jesus Christ and him crucified and him risen and sitting at the right hand of the Father, and even though he visualized him and, and kept that forgiveness and mercy in his heart as he saw the people who very gruesomely stoned him to death, what we see from those people is that they think about killing him, then they talk about killing him. In fact, some of their talking is so inaudible or ineffable that they're just grinding and gnashing their teeth, and then they actually commit the act of stoning him to death. So we have to watch that river that flows from our thoughts, our words, and our deeds, and make sure that those things are being controlled. Because if we don't control it at a certain level, it will keep passing through and will cycle through in a way that we are not comfortable with. Verses 4 to 12. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. 
The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Here the NKJV has as a note, and it says Gehenna. I believe that's the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Uh, I don't like that word. In the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. The, the fig tree example is brought up a lot. We see it in the Gospels as well, and we mentioned it during the, the readings of, of Holy Week for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, mentioning it as an illustration for the people who are not bearing fruit. So we see this a lot, right? We hear agrarian examples that are used so that when we look at these things in real life, we begin to remember the teaching and instruction of the, of the Lord. This shows in itself a parable within a parable, how words have power. Words have the ability to sink in. It's a meta-analysis. It's beyond. He's telling you how words have power, and he's using the power of words while he's doing that as well. We were able to, as humankind, take these nasty wolves and domesticate them and turn them into dogs, take these lions and tigers and domesticate them into cats. How many beasts do we have that we turned into cattle, right? Look at the boar and then look at the pig. It's, it's amazing what we've done through training, through teaching, through instruction, through control, through intentionality. So we need to take that same focus that our ancestors took, that same dedication and devotion that they spent their time on to teaching and, and, and stood on the shoulders of giants, right? That, that, that same ability they had to domesticate the dog, the cat, and the pig, we need to devote that energy that time, we need to devote those efforts to the studying of the sacred scriptures so that they are so much in us that all we think about are the holy scriptures. And thus, all we speak about are the holy scriptures. And thus, all we do, all of our deeds, all of our actions, all of the fruit that will come out will be appropriate from that. We won't have godly works on the one side and then demonic works on the other side. In fact, the Greek Orthodox Bible and the New King James Version titled the next section, Heavenly versus Demonic Wisdom. Recall that the original scriptures do not have these titles, and sometimes they may lead us astray by force, forcing or imposing a certain belief on us, but sometimes they may, they may be helpful. Here, I'll let you decide what it is, whether it's helpful or not. Verses 13 to 17. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking, the, the Greek Orthodox Bible says, jealousy and self-ambition, in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, or jealousy and self-ambition... 
Confusion and every evil thing are there, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. When we get to Philippians, we'll see how great our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was, that he had this equality with God the Father, and yet he didn't take it as something to be grasped, something to be held and taken advantage of. Instead, he empties himself and takes on the form of a slave, the form of a bond servant. Here we see Jacob mirroring the Pauline language and saying that you have to be willing to yield. Whether you need to yield or not is irrelevant. You have to be willing to yield. You have to be gentle, peaceable. We'll get back to peace in verse 18. You have to be full of mercy and sprouting all types of good fruits. Otherwise, saying you're a Christian, saying you're a follower of the way, saying you're Orthodox, saying you're Byzantine, saying you're Gizrite, saying you're Alexandrian, Antiochian, Syriac, none of it matters. Quoting the fathers, none of it will matter. Saying that you have the prettiest net Allah or nas Allah or shawl, saying that, you know, you've studied under so-and-so and so-and-so and taken communion for this long and preached here and taught there and sang here, none of it will matter if the way that you conduct yourself outside of the building sanctuary is not the same way that you conduct yourself in the cosmic sanctuary, in the universe itself, which is the sanctuary of the living God. Verses 18 to the end. Actually, it's just 18. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I'll repeat it. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The Greek Orthodox Bible invites us to reread the Sermon on the Mount here, which is from Matthew 5 to 7 or 4 to 7, depending on how you define it. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we hear, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the sons of God. Blessed or happy are those who try their hardest to keep the peace, to manage the peace, to handle differences between human beings, to negotiate for the greater good, to negotiate so that there is shalom, so that there is wholeness, completeness, and peace. Those people who do that will be considered heirs of God, inheritors of his kingdom, inheritors of his righteousness. So his righteousness here is shown through the fruit. And it is sown by his word, which produces peace. And elsewhere we hear that this peace is peace that is beyond human comprehension or understanding. It's what people nowadays would call a vibe, what people in ancient times would call a spirit, and which I hope becomes a wave or a way in which the generation behaves. If you have the peace that you get from the Holy Scriptures and the living God residing inside of you, people will be able to test that spirit, to sense that spirit. They'll see you in ups and they'll see you in downs. They'll see you in time of quarantine and when the quarantine is over. And then if you really have this peace, they will be curious. They will ask you, where did you get that peace? And in that moment, you'll be able to give a testimony. And in that moment, if you teach nobody else, 
you will be able to teach them because you were taught by giving your time to the Lord and hearing his scriptures. Glory to God for all things. Yeah. <laughs>